Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bibles and you're willing and able to turn with me to the book of Romans, we'll continue this morning. Romans chapter 15. off of two weeks of preaching on gray issues. As I said last week, I really wish I had a couple more weeks to go deeper into the weeds with you, but I'm going to keep moving. I think uh, an hour each sermon is way long enough for you, so uh, I know there are some of you who are like, just preach it, brother, don't worry about it, and then there's others of you who are like, okay, um, we're supposed to be out at a certain time. So this morning, my goal is to do whatever the Spirit leads, but my goal is to preach the Word and to bring it to you, and we'll see if God answers my prayer. My prayer is that I'll be short this morning. You're like, really? You prayed that? Yes, that I'll be short and effective uh, this morning in bringing God's Word to you. Romans chapter 15, we continue in this series. We get to the place where Paul is ending this letter, and as he's ending this, He's walked through this, uh, this encounter at the, the, what we've been kind of walking through of like, okay, as you learn to live with one another, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be struggles, and you need to continue to keep loving each other. And then we get to chapter 15, and, and starting in verse 8, we see this uh, almost a shift as he's shifting the letter to bring it to conclusion. All right, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, and and it's really kind of simple, and Andy helped us begin by reminding us, Paul's going to tell us that the gospel isn't just for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentiles, and and so we get to enjoy that today, but again, remember who Paul is writing to as he's being called, as he will share, being called to share the gospel not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile. God called him, the Apostle Paul, to share the gospel to the Gentile nation. And here these believers in Rome, some of them Jew, some of them non-Jew. And how, do they, how, do they, how does this church that's made up of both Jewish believers and non-Jews, how do they function? How do they come together and build each other up? And so we're going to look at that here in just a moment. Romans chapter 15, we'll start in verse 8 and we'll read through verse 33. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me and would you follow along as we read God's word? Paul writes in verse 8 of chapter 15, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarch. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you amongst the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise to the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 
I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Iricium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I have made it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I have no longer any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and I've delivered to them what, I, what have been collected, I will leave for Spain by the way of you. I know that I have come to you I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit, love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service from Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed, in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Lord, we pray that as we dig into this passage of scripture, that you would take it and put it in our minds, put it in our hearts, Lord, that we may be rooted and ground up, Lord, uh, built up for your glory, that, that what truth we see here, we would not only hear, that our, our hearts and our ears would be open and receptive, but that our hearts and our ears would lead us to live this truth out. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Just wondered if I made you stand the whole service, how many of you would be gone after a little while, huh? It's great to be together and it's great to dig into God's word together. Paul starts off this section and he says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Again, a reminder to us of why Christ came. He came to save and deliver his people. It's the promise of what we see in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah. 
Jesus is the one that was promised by the prophets to deliver the nation of Israel, to deliver the Jewish people. He is and was the Messiah. Paul reminds his readers of that, and he reminds us today. Christ became a servant. Again, he could have chosen any, any different words to describe what Christ came to do. I don't know if I would use servant, but we see Paul saying that multiple times. We looked and even talked about that a little bit last week as we saw how Paul describes Christ coming through the book of Philippians. Philippians 2, and the, the, the mind of Christ as he humbled himself. Which if we are followers of Christ, should we not be servants as well? It should just be part of who we are. And yet that's so contrary to our world and how the world tells us to live. We see here, here is the servant to the circumcised. He humbled himself, came to them to show what? God's truthfulness, that God is true to his word. All that the prophets, all that they've shared, he has come to show that God keeps his word. And he says, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So now it goes beyond just the Gentile or just the Jews, and now it extends to the Gentiles. In some translations, it can be translated, this same word can be translated heathen. All right? We saw this this morning in our, our class on prayer, which, again, if I can be so bold, if you'll let me step on your toes for a little bit, you get up for work, you get up for school. Every single day, and you say, oh, I need one day to sleep in. Shame on you. Why would you sleep in on a God's day? Is God any less important than your job or school? Okay, pastor, enough meddling, right? Come to class, right? Come and enjoy, get fed. And I know, I know that you get tired and weary. I was tired and weary this morning, that's why I hit the snooze multiple times. I usually try to get here a little early, and I wasn't early. I was just on time today. I get it, and I understand that. But man, we have this great privilege, and time is so short. We have a privilege of gathering together, and my bet is if you come to class and you're tired and weary, our prayer that we pray during the week for you is that your heart and your mind would be restored and revived, that you would be encouraged as you sit and partake in class. All right, I'll get off of that. Now, we were talking in class, all right, about, uh, about the Lord and how, um, Lord, help us not to be like the heathen or the Gentile. It is here, and it's hard for us to really fully comprehend this this idea that Paul has written really from the beginning of this, of this book, of this letter that he's written to the church in Rome. Like, God has extended his grace to the heathen, to those who are undeserving, to those who, who, who don't believe in the one true God. God has extended grace to them to share the good news of who Jesus is, to share to them that that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one who can save them from their sin. Paul reiterates this message. And for us, it's hard to comprehend because most of us, as we sit here, most of us are Gentiles. 
and we feel privileged enough that we should get the gospel. But if you go to the Old Testament, and that's why I've always said, in order to understand the New Testament better, you've got to understand the Old Testament. And as we look and walk through the Old Testament, we see God chose one people group, one nation. They were chosen to be his people, to be a holy people, to be distinct, to be set apart from all the other nations so that his name, so that he would be undisplayed and that his name would be brought glory. Now, the beauty of walking through the Old Testament is we see it wasn't just the Gentiles, but there's, there's a string of, of, of not just Jews. There are Gentiles as well. Some Gentiles like Rahab who had heard about the name of, of Israel's God and who feared him and said, I'll help you spies in doing whatever you need. Just protect my family, please. We will honor you. We will follow you. Ruth. She wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. And yet here she was committed and faithful to the God of her mother-in-law. She was willing to follow him. We sit here. We sit built on upon a foundation. And part of that foundation of faith before us is God's chosen people, Israel, the Jewish people. We pray for them. We should love them. Christ came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. I believe the church does not replace the Jewish nation of Israel. The promises that God gave to Abraham and to David and to Moses about Israel are still important and will come to fulfillment through the nation of Israel. The church doesn't, we, we don't fulfill that. But we get other blessings because of those promises. Some of the same promises that we're going to see here in just a moment. That David talks about. That Moses talked about. That Isaiah talked about. Applies to us. It, it was a foreseeing of this gospel message that was not going to be just for the Jews. But also for you and for me. For us as Gentiles. Paul's reminding them here. Listen. God gets the glory as the message goes out to the Gentiles. It is ultimately to glorify who God is, to glorify his name. Then we see here in, in verse 9, he quotes from 1 Sam, or 2 Samuel twenty two fifty. This is coming to the end of David's life. And as David shares this kind of doxology in chapter 22 and then 23, his last words, Part of what he says here is, therefore, I will praise you amongst the Gentiles and sing to your name. David's leading Israel during this time. Why would he throw this in here? Well, it's interesting because, again, verse 10, uh, again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is a quote uh, from Deuteronomy and Moses. But what's interesting about what David says is it says it not only in 2 Samuel 22, but it also says it in Psalm 32. David quotes this two times in the song and in his, his doxology of God's faithfulness and how God has delivered his people. It's an important message. And as we see, not only for David, but going back to De Deuteronomy, the Gentiles rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, there's a distinction here between the Gentiles and Israel, but together they can rejoice 
Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. We see this in Psalm 117, verse 1. Not a very long song, probably the shortest psalm that we have. It's only two verses, and this makes up a majority of it. It's an important song that Israel would have been singing. It's a reminder to them, again, God is a gracious and merciful God who is not just for his people, but he extends grace. And ultimately, Paul writes here, the gospel message extends to the Gentiles, to all those other heathens as well. Then Isaiah, Paul just comes out and says it here. And then Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. From Isaiah 11, verse 10. We today have our hope set upon who? The root of Jesse. Jesus Christ. In Christ is our hope. Isaiah wrote about that. Hundreds of years before Christ even came, he's talking about the Gentile nations coming and expressing how they will hope in this Messiah, this Deliverer. Verse 13, Paul continues, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I believe part of my struggle and maybe yours too is we lose sight of hope. And what happens when you lose hope? You become so inward focused and so self-centered. You become so fixated upon the things that are going on around you that all of a sudden you're defining who you are based upon your circumstances. Paul's reminding them, listen, the hope is found in Christ. I want you to remember that by believing, you continuing to believe, right? In believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The hope is that Christ is going to come back. He's going to continue to be faithful to his word. The beauty of what Paul is saying is, listen, remember when these guys said this? It's come true. And the Gentiles have placed their hope in it. And I want to remind you, that's where your hope is too. That by believing, you may continue to experience the hope by the Spirit of God that lives in you. The hope of what is to come. Why? Because this isn't the end. Yesterday, I enjoyed a tradition that the Varner family has enjoyed for many years now. And that's called Durbin's Ice Cream down in Barberton. Free ice cream. How can you turn that down? Like free ice cream. And Mr. Durbin comes out and he, the uh, first time I saw him in my 30-some years, okay, maybe 40-some years of going, he came out and he expressed his thanks for people coming. You know, like, thanks for coming. And, and, uh, and, and his father was the one who started it, and he has continued that business. But man, that ice cream was so good. Now, you don't get to choose whatever you want. You get vanilla, chocolate, or twist. All right? That's all they serve. The boy in front of me, he's like, can I have sprinkles on mine? They're like, uh, we don't do that today. You know, I think there's a sermon analogy in that, too. Like, you get this for free. What are you asking for more for, Right? 
But it was good. Paul and Sarah, I don't know how we missed you guys, but, but you guys must have snuck in right before us. Thanks for leaving some. But man, I, I enjoyed that. It wasn't just one cone, right? One cone was good. And then, so I had a twist, and then I had to try the chocolate, right? And then, couldn't just be happy with that. The beauty was, thankfully, I ran in the morning, so I splurged a little bit. But I didn't just eat three. I had a, yes, okay, gluttony is a sin. <laughs> My point is this. There are things that we enjoy in this world, but there is nothing that can bring us hope like Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. And as followers of Christ, that's who we look to. That's who we lean upon. He has saved us for eternity in heaven with him. Right now, you and I get to enjoy the privilege of walking with him. We don't have to wait to heaven to know him more. Yes, we're limited in this flesh, in, in this body, and in our sinfulness. And one day we'll be perfect and we'll be like him but until then, we strive walking with him, knowing him, and being reminded to say, okay, where is my hope? Where's the joy that I get in life as I believe this? The Spirit of God provides it in us. Paul's reminding, and in a prayer, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Part of it relies upon us that we have to believe. Don't lose faith. What God has said is going to take place. Then he continues, verse 14. Now he makes it personal. He's been talking about them and how God has brought salvation to not just the Jew, but also the Gentiles. Now he's going to make it personal. And he says, I myself, I'm satisfied about you. Don't you want somebody to say that about you? Like, I'm satisfied. And I know I get on you about not coming to class and maybe you're not involved in a life group and maybe you don't come to anything else except for Sunday morning. But let me say, as a church... I see what God is doing in your hearts and your minds. I see your yearning and your desire. And let me tell you, as your pastor, I'm proud of you. And as Paul said, he's satisfied in what he is hearing of their faith and their walk. It's hard for me to say I'm satisfied because I'm a coach. Okay, and part of my coaching is 90% of the good is there. But it's that 10% that we want to strive to get better. And so let me take away my coaching and say, man, I, I'm satisfied with what I'm seeing. And yet I'm praying that God will continue to grow us and strengthen us. Paul is saying to them, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. They know the word. They know the truth. They know the gospel message. He's been teaching them. Others have been teaching them. Paul's writing, and he, the reason why he's writing them, verse 15, but on some points I've written to you very boldly in the way of reminder. We all need reminders, don't we? I'm so thankful I have, I have such a gracious wife because I forget all the time. 
I hope you have a gracious wife or husband. I hope you children have gracious parents. And I hope you see that. And parents, I hope you see that you have gracious children. We need reminders. And part of reminding is is us seeing the grace of God because we miss those steps at times. We miss it. It's hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to remember to do or, or to say or to act. Paul has been writing this letter as a reminder on some points. A reminder from the very beginning of his letter where he says, listen, there is not one who is without excuse. There's no excuse for somebody not believing in God because it's all apparent. And when somebody rejects Jesus, when they reject God, it's because God has given them over to to a debased mind. He's given them over to their own desires, the desires of their flesh, the desires of their own self. And even amongst the Jews, they, they don't have any reason to complain. God has given them the Messiah, and yet they've missed it. And Paul continues to remind them throughout his letter of of these specific truths that he wants to bring to their attention as they wrestle through their faith. I hope you get that as you walk in fellowship with one another, as we dig into the word together and study, that we get to be reminded of how God desires for us to live. Accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior doesn't give us a license to live however we want. That's not freedom. I think that's more in bondage than it is free. You're bound to the things of the world. You're bound to yourself. I want to be free to live the life that God desires for me. Paul is writing, listen, I, I'm so proud of you. And I'm, I have written these things and I've been very pointed on some of these things. Because, why? Because of the grace given to me by God. To be a minister. Again, Paul isn't just trying to throw stones at them. He's saying, listen, my purpose of writing is because God's called me. And God's called me to show his grace. And God's called me to minister to you. To minister to others. Minister to the Gentiles. Again, the wording here is so purposeful, right? In verse 16... Paul is to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You would think Paul was writing about the Old Testament and about the duties of the priests and their offerings. The people, as they brought their offerings before God, Paul is writing and he's expanded a little bit for us about how there isn't the need of bringing a sacrificial lamb anymore because Christ died once and for all. And here God has given him the responsibility, this priestly office of ministering so that as the people come and as they offer what? Their lives. As they die to themselves, as they offer themselves as a holy and acceptable offering unto God. He says, that's what I've been here to do. Sanctified by the Spirit. We're made right. We're made holy. 
We're continually being changed by the Spirit of God that lives in us. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, if we just stop there, we, we might say, oh, wow, this is a little, uh, it's pro- is Paul getting a little boastful here, a little pride setting in? Well, again, Paul's already helped us to see he's, he's walked through quite a bit in life. And, and, and it's not about a pride of himself. He's already said he's been called. Look at the next verse, though. For I will, will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. He's saying, listen, it's God that's been working through me. That's what I'm proud of. The fact that God would use me as a tool and instrument. I pray that that's your prayer. That where God has placed you and put you, God hasn't put me there and he hasn't put somebody else there. He's placed you to be the tool and the instrument. To be a minister, to show God's love and to speak God's truth. To the people that he desires for you. So that you can say, man, I am proud of what has taken place. Because God has spoken through me. I see it. It's amazing. It's not a look at me. It's a look at God. Look what he's done. Look at what he's accomplished. And he says, he gives us some examples of how that's been seen. By word And it's, again, the Gentiles who are living in obedience. He has seen it in their obedience by word and deed. He has seen it by the power of signs and wonders. Don't get scared there, Baptists, okay? I know we we get a little scared when we start seeing signs and wonders. Don't, Don't want to become Pentecostal, right? It's in the text, okay? Don't ignore the text. Signs and wonders are a real thing. Can God... And does God still use sign and wonders? Yes, he does. We live in a dark world, though. We've also been given the full truth of God's word. If people aren't going to listen to the word of God, how are they going to listen to and see signs and wonders? I won't go down that rabbit hole. By the power of the Spirit of God. This reminds me that the same spirit of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead. The spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. That same spirit who has that same power resides in you and me. That's amazing, isn't it? Paul is saying, listen, it's, a, it's evident in your obedience. I see it because the Spirit is working through you. And so he reminds them, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to that wonderful city that I practiced all week long and I said it wrong. Arilicum. Sure. Anyway, God has a great sense of humor, and the fact that he made me a pastor is amazing. What Paul is saying here 
is that he started here in Jerusalem. The gospel started in Jerusalem. And it has gone and it has spread out. And Paul's going to tell us here in just a minute about how that has worked in such a way that not only what he has done, but how others have spread the gospel. It's gone out to all these regions and these regions know about Jesus now. And so he's looking for another place. Another place and that place is Spain. He wants to go to Spain to spread the gospel because now... On those trading routes, Paul wants to get on that trading route and to get to that place so that they may know Jesus. Because this region from Jerusalem to these cities in this area, they know about Christ. God has been faithful. He said, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Can I just stop for a second? Preaching is so crazy of an idea, isn't it? Just to get up and to preach? Like, who came up with that? God did, of course. Now we have teaching, and there's lots of great teachers, but this idea of preaching the gospel, preaching in a world that says, why do you need to go and listen to somebody talk? Paul made it his mission to preach the gospel. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He made it his ambition, as he says here, my ambition to preach the gospel. And it wasn't where Christ had already been named. He knew those places already had Christ. So why am I going to go there and preach? No, I want to go somewhere else. Because I don't want to preach on somebody else's foundation, he says. Meaning, he doesn't want to get glory or credit for it, nor does he want to get in the way of what God's doing and how God's using his other people to proclaim the gospel. He doesn't want to get in the way. We see that in the beginning of, of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. The hindrances of, of different men leading and some who would say, oh, I follow Apollos, he baptized me, and oh, I, follow, I followed Cephas, I followed Peter, and, and there are other. Oh, I followed Paul because he bapt. No, it's not about who is leading, and Paul is saying this here. I'm not wanting to build on the foundation of other people. No, I want to go where there's people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Which begs me to think, man, I am so thankful that there was somebody willing to bring the gospel to my mom and dad. So that they would believe. And then my parents to take me to church. Who God called the pastor and my Sunday school teacher to share the gospel message with me. And I saw that lived out. Somebody at some point, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Somebody somewhere shared the gospel with you. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, we don't just live focused on ourselves here. No, we, there's going to be a challenge here coming soon. All right, that challenges as we look at the gospel message and how Paul has desired to go to different places, that desire should be the same for us too. As we live out the truth, as we live out the gospel. He reminds us again from another passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 52 verse 15, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul lets him know, listen, I, I, I'd like to be with you, but God had other plans. 
The plans were so that I could share the gospel with others who had not heard it. I wonder if there's anybody who's sitting here today who would say, I want to do that with my life. I want to go and to tell people who have never heard about Jesus, I want to share with them the gospel. I challenge you. I beg you. I plead with you to pray about that. Especially you young people. I think we have a great crisis coming. The crisis is we don't have young people who are willing to step into the gap of ministry to make it their calling. What about you? Regardless if you're young or you're old. What is your calling that God has been given you so that others may hear the gospel? It would have been easier, might have been easier and less trials for Paul to go to Rome and talk to them and share the gospel and disciple them. Discipleship isn't bad, but that's not what God called him to do. And he's letting them know, listen, I didn't come because I didn't like you or I had problems with you. No, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of hearing about your obedience. I've been hindered because I've wanted to go and share the gospel with people who needed to hear it. That's the beauty of being able to support our missionaries. It pains me to hear people when I've heard comments who say that we don't need missionaries. Can you believe that people have said that? They have. They've said it to my face. We need missionaries. We need people to go and spread the gospel. To go places where people have not heard the gospel message. Verse 23. But now, since I have no longer any room for work in these regions, meaning, man, this re these regions... They got the gospel. There's churches set up. They're, they're doing exactly what they need to do. And because of that, now I'm free. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor amongst the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentile has come to share in their spiritual blessing. Paul's already talked about this, the grafting in that we as Gentiles get to experience. This spiritual blessing of eternal life, of a relationship with God forever... To be called his children and heirs of the throne, we get to experience those spiritual blessings. And he says here, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. And so when we look at our Jewish brothers and sisters, should we not give to them? And this is an opportunity, again, if you go back to culture and what it meant to be a Jewish Christian at this time, you were an outcast. And so for those Jews living in Jerusalem, they no longer had a community. They no longer had health care. They no longer had the, 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 the resources, the food, the, the care that they needed just to go through life. No, they were shunned and put off. Especially if you were a widow or an orphan. 
That's why Paul makes it his mission to remind the Gentiles, listen, there are people who have chosen to follow Jesus who have great need. And we need to go and help them. Because they're the ones who started with the gospel. They're the ones that the gospel came out of. And we need to go and we need to minister to them. That's what Paul writes in Corinthians, again, to the church in Corinth. Give. Give unto God, not because it's a burden, but because it's a, out of the fullness of your heart. And so Paul gets to take these offerings that these churches have gathered for these believers in Jerusalem who are in great need. And he gets the privilege of being able to take them there. And he says, listen, I'm going to come to you in Rome, but I'll be there after I make this little trip to Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem and he says, when I've completed this and I've delivered to them what has been collected, verse 28, I will leave for Spain by the way of you. Paul was very focused on where he was going. And it wasn't to Rome. He's already said it twice. He said, I'm going to come to you, but I'm coming to you on the way to where God has me. And that way is to Spain. He wanted to go to Spain. I will leave for Spain by the way of you. Again, sometimes what we have planned, God has other plans. If you read the New Testament, you see and know that God had some other plans for Paul. But he kept seeking to spread the gospel. And so he says in verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. God is going to send me when I come. I'm going to have God's blessing on my life and I'm going to bring it to you. And I'm going to get to experience your blessing as you minister to me, as he's already said. Here's the practical aspect to live out. He says, so I appeal to you, brothers. He says, I'm asking you, I'm appealing to you. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm desiring, would you wake up and listen? This is what I'm asking you to do. By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Now let me pause here for just one second. First, do you see the Trinity in this verse? Take, take notice. Now, the Trinity is never used as a term here, all right, in the, in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, but we see the evidence that there is a triune God. And here's one of the verses that stands out to me as we see Paul saying, okay, by our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, Jesus, right? And by the love of the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God, God the Father, and so here we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The triune God that Paul is helping us to understand this concept of theology of who, he, who God is. And he's bringing it and wrapping it up. And he's saying, listen, I'm appealing to you to strive with me. And what does he ask them to do? To pray. Our theme for this year, it's right out in the wall been before you, and I hope that you'll continue to ask the Lord to live that out. To be steadfast in prayer, Colossians. As we think about that, 
to be steadfast in prayer, Paul is writing them and saying, listen, would you together with me strive? Now, before I ate all that ice cream yesterday, I was running. And my friend called me up or texted me the night before and said, hey, I'm going to run a long run. And he was running 30 miles. And I'm like, ugh, I can't do that. He's like, would you just run a little bit with me? I haven't run since before Christmas. I've played basketball, but I haven't run. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to do this? But I knew my friend was going to be at a point in his morning and his run that his goal was to get to 30, 30 miles. And he needed to have someone come alongside of him and to strive with him. And let me tell you, I strived. But in doing so, I was able to be an encouragement because I was there with him. I came alongside of him. And, and, and Paul is asking the believers, the church in Rome here, would you come alongside of me and would you, would you pray with me? Would you pray in your prayers to God on my behalf? And he asked for three things. The first is this, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul is under deep testing, and he's asking that God would deliver him from these, from these evil ones. He doesn't call them evil here, but from the unbelievers, the enemies. You're either a believer or an unbeliever, and Paul has encountered a lot from the unbelievers that God would deliver me from Judea. So why? So he could ultimately, so he could get to Jerusalem and then go on to Spain. So would you pray for my deliverance? He asked them. Second is that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That this gift that I'm bringing to them, that, that, it, would, that it would be received well. That it would be an encouragement. Would you pray that not only that I get there, but that when I do get there, as he says here, that my service to them would be acceptable. That it would please them, that would encourage them, that would ultimately build them up. And then third, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. So not only to be delivered from Judea, but to be able to come and bring these gifts to Jerusalem, but also so that I may come to you and, and, and refresh and bring hope and, and love to you, but that we may be refreshed together. And he finishes this. This is, this is my prayer. He says, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Meaning, let me say that again. May the God of, of peace be with you all. So how does this look in our life? Paul reminded us of his calling, and I ask you, what's your calling? Do you remember it? Do you remember the calling that God has placed on your life? You may say, I, I don't know what that calling is. Then you get on your knees and you ask God what that calling looks like. You may be doing it. You may have forgotten it. You may not know. You may be in a season of transition. Be reminded of the calling that God has given us and the true calling that each one of us has is to go into the world and preach the gospel. We're to go make disciples. Telling people about who Jesus is. 
discipling them and encouraging them to walk in their faith. Remember your calling. Paul's calling was to the Gentiles. Our calling, go into all the world and make disciples. Number two, my encouragement is that we would strive together in prayer. Do you know that prayer is a great tool in our daily striving? (laughs) It's a tool that's there that often we don't even use. If you have bad breath and you're getting cavities, what tool do you need? Hello? It's obvious, right? Use a toothbrush. All right? If you're trying to eat something, ice cream, that's in a bowl, not in a cone, what do you need? A spoon. It's obvious. What do we need as we strive in life, as we strive to live out this calling? Prayer. It's the tool that God has given us that we can come together and unite our hearts with his heart. Number three, refresh one another. Refresh one another. And let me just say, you guys do a great job of that. Now there's always those people, and you say, who, am I one of those people? I'm not telling you if you're one of those people. But chances are, if you're asking yourself, mm, I'm teasing. Refresh one another. Make it your mission. Life is hard enough. Make it your mission to come along someone else today. And, and each, maybe each day you make it your mission. How can I refresh somebody else? You can't do it under your own strength, though. Paul has told us how we do it. It's by the work of the Spirit of God in us. So you better be in the Word. You better be praying. You better be asking God for help because you can't do it yourself. But we are called to refresh each other. Because why? We all need a little encouragement. I need to know, man, uh, am, I, am I doing all right? You need that. I think of a young mom who's walking through the grocery store with three kids that are just going crazy. You've seen them. Maybe you were one. You know what that mom needs in that point? She doesn't need somebody to come alongside and tell her that she needs to get her kids in line. She needs a little encouragement. She just needs somebody to come along and say, hey, I see you. I see that it's hard. I'll be praying for you. Keep up the good work. Man, we need that. We need to stop tearing each other down. We need to stop nitpicking. We need to stop being so inner focused that we lose sight that there is a lost and dying world headed for eternity and hell. Paul, at the end of this gospel, or the end of this letter, he's reminding us not only the gospel message, but I think he's reminding us, and he's reminding the church, don't just stay inward focus. No, there's a bigger picture out there. That bigger picture for him was Spain. The bigger picture for them 
was to continue to display God's love and obedience to live in a way that showed his grace and his mercy and his love and to reach those people and to build each other up. That's what we need. You need it. I need it. So refresh someone today and this week. Ask God what that looks like. When was the last time you wrote a letter to somebody? I didn't say text. I didn't say email. When was the last time you sat down and you wrote a letter? Just a quick note to say, hey, I'm thinking of you. That was one of the best things in college. It's one of the most exciting things. And, and the Lord blessed me. I was able to run in college, and I experienced some blessing to be able to, to achieve some goals in running that, that I desired. But let me tell you, that paled in comparison to when I went to the mailbox and I got a letter from somebody. Man, I loved it. How can you encourage somebody? It doesn't have to cost you a lot. But let us be refreshing to one another. As we strive together in prayer, remembering the calling that God has placed on each one of us. Will you bow and pray with me? Lord, thank you for your many blessings. Thank you that we have the great privilege of having your word and to read it and to study it. Lord, help us to strive together in our prayers for one another. Lord, that we may live out the calling that you've given to us. Lord, that we may continue to build up one another, to encourage each other. Lord, we can't do that on our own because we're selfish and we become so self-focused. Sometimes just focus on things that maybe aren't of great importance or the greatest importance. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would refresh our minds and our hearts, that your spirit, Lord, will remind us of how how awesome it is that we can come together in prayer, seeking your face, seeking your heart, knowing that you hear us, that you love us, that you want to walk with us, you want to talk with us, and you want to continue to guide us and use us for your glory. So, Lord, as we close in prayer here, or in song, Lord, um, I pray that, that this song would be true and that we would take it to heart. As we sing about prayer, it wouldn't be just something that we sing about, but it would be something that, that we would do individually, but we would look for ways that your spirit leads us to pray together. So we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ.